0: All right, the rest of you, if you got your Bibles, we're still in Matthew. Wow, can you believe how long we've been in Matthew's Gospel? And we are not even scratching the surface of what's there. Matthew chapter 13, thank you for standing already. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 13, and as you're finding your place there, I want to say another welcome, and especially our guests. I met several guests this morning, some that I already knew, some that I met for the first time, and we're so glad you chose to worship. Please see me on the way out, uh, because I have a gift for you. And uh, be sure that you see me on the way out, and I'll I'll, uh, place that in your hands uh, when you leave. And uh, remind me, this was your your first or maybe second time with us, and and you haven't received one of these gifts before. All right, everybody found it, Matthew chapter 13, we're still talking about noble living in a needy world, royalty, what does it mean to be royalty? And um, we're going to begin reading with verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, some translations say the pearl of great price, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Father, we... Thank you for all of these parables in Matthew's gospel that teach us in a way we can understand what the kingdom of God is all about. And I pray now that your spirit would be our teacher and show us in your word what it is you want us to hear and understand and live out on a daily basis. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of this message today is Sold Out to the King. Are you sold out to King Jesus. Why does sometimes the word sell out is a, a negative term, but it's very positive when we think of selling out everything for the sake of gaining all that Christ has for us. It's, it's coming to a place in our faith where we reach that point of no return and we say, you know what, I've, I've got to give it my all, give it my everything. Uh, the point of no return, if you think about a a rocket ship that takes off, you know, or, or when the space shuttle is launched, there, there's a, a plan for kind of aborting the mission even after the space shuttle takes off. But then they reach a certain point where hey, this is a point of no return. We're in this, and we're all out, and, and we're going on into space. Or perhaps in terms that some of the young people can understand, at least if you had grown up in my neighborhood, uh, the point of no return. See, we had X Games before ESPN knew what X Games were. As a matter of fact, you can talk to Toby about it. He invented the snowboard before there ever was a snowboard. I mean, he was uh, hey, that's a sled. You're supposed to sit on it, but not him. He was going to stand on it. So we, we had X Games. And one thing we like to do is, is you've got a, a neighborhood full of boys with bicycles. Somebody's going to have cinder blocks and plywood somewhere. And so we were building ramps before ramps were on TV, and we, were, we, were, we would take our bikes and fly down these hills and hit these ramps that were kind of riggedy and shaky. And, and uh, I remember when you would, you would do this, you would reach a point to where you thought, okay, am I going through with this? And you could not hit that ramp with any hesitation. You either had to bail, hit your brakes, go another direction, or you need to decide you're all in and you're going to give this thing everything you got. Because if you didn't give it everything you had, it could be disastrous. And quite well, honestly, sometimes it was disastrous when we were giving it all that we had broken bicycles, arms, and everything else. But you reach that moment to where you're saying, you know what, this is kind of fun, this is kind of cool, but I've got to make a decision. Am I all in? Am I going to sell out and give it everything I've got, or am I going to kind of go halfway with this? And with the Christian faith, if there's anything we can't really go halfway with, it's giving Christ our all. It's selling out to King Jesus. And Jesus gives and teaches about the kingdom again and again in this section of Matthew's Gospel, using parables. And he says, I'm using parables so you will get it. And there's still people that aren't going to get it. They also uh, remind us of the teachings of Christ on the kingdom. The fact that throughout the Gospels, we see this already but not yet aspect of the kingdom that I mentioned when we introduced Matthew's Gospel and when we introduced this series. There is a sense in which the kingdom of God is not yet. It, we're still waiting on the uh, reign of Christ on this earth, the way that he would have intended from the very beginning for everyone to experience. I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back in all of his glory, makes all things right, and shows us how life was intended to be lived. And even after what I believe is a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on the earth, and the, the, the final judgments and the eternal kingdom that is to come, we're told in Revelation that even at that moment there's going to be a not only a new heaven, but also a new earth. And so there is a not yet aspect to the kingdom that we can't get our minds around and we trust on what revelation we have. But there is an already aspect to the kingdom where God is establishing His kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls who call Jesus Lord and King. And so He wants us to go ahead and begin to experience some of the fullness of that kingdom not waiting for heaven, not waiting for the eternal kingdom, but right here in the nasty here and now, to live by kingdom principles. And that's what Matthew's been spelling out, and especially especially when it comes to how we live in a noble way in the midst of needy people in the world. To live like that requires selling out. Saying, okay, Jesus, I'm giving you all that I have and I'm receiving all that you want for me. I believe this particular passage, even though it's small, it kind of sums up the message of the parables. I believe it describes a crisis moment. By crisis, I mean a point in time where we come to a place where we say, you know what, I've got to do this. I've got to give it all to Him. I can't try to live for myself. I can't live for the things of this world. I've got to be all in. I can't just... I can't try to live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world anymore. I can't straddle this fence. It's all out for Jesus. I believe there are crisis moments in life, but I also believe that it is a process of sanctification in which we grow in grace and we become more sold out on a daily basis. It's a consistent lifestyle. So don't look at this passage and say, well, you know what, I gave my heart and life to King Jesus when I was a child or a teenager or a young adult or in, in midlife or whatever it was. Don't look back at that crisis and say, so, okay, I'm in, obviously I'm in, we're all done. It's a daily process of selling out that I want to encourage you to be a part of. So if you're one of those this morning saying, Pastor, you don't have to worry about me, man, I'm in. I know I'm part of the kingdom, I'm glad I'm part of the kingdom. Listen, I want you to understand that it's more about that crisis moment. Though that is necessary and real, it's got to become a lifestyle. So, so what do I mean by crisis and lifestyle? We'll explain that as we break down this text. First of, all, first of all, we're talking about the fact that selling out is a life of seeking. Selling out is a life of, king, uh, of seeking. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found. So there had to be a process of Discovery it says buried treasure. And he needed to find this treasure. So he found it and then he, he hid it, he buried it, he protected it. Or on the other hand, he goes on and he talks about a merchant who is in search of pearls. So, so there's this process of seeking and discovering. Now, let's be abundantly clear. God is not playing hide and seek with us. And I know people like to debate the theology behind. Well, how much of is it really that I found God and that that God found me? And the truth of the matter is, Luke nineteen, in verse ten, Jesus says, "I've come to seek and to save the lost." When there was no way for us to possibly find God because of who He is and all of His glory, and who we are and all our limitations. God revealed himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made himself known to us. So I understand that aspect, and I understand why some people shy away from the word seeking. It's because God first sought after us. God first loved us. God first made himself known to us. We're lost, and he came to reveal himself. I once was lost, but now I'm Found. So I realize that the ultimate seeker is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Here's the problem. The clutter of the sin-fallen world, the clutter in our lives, sometimes hide what God is trying to reveal to us. Sometimes hide what God is trying to show us. You ever been in a place where you didn't hide your keys? You just couldn't find them because of all the clutter. <laughs> You didn't hide that piece of clothing that you wanted to wear to church. You just couldn't find it. You know, you put something somewhere not to hide it. It's there. It was there in plain sight. But then then kind of clutter builds up. No, no, at your house it may not happen. At my house it does, I'll just be honest. Clutter happens, and you just can't find what you're looking for. And in our lives sometimes, we have the, the world... In the flesh cluttering our minds and our hearts. And it's not that God is hiding from us, it's that we need for Him to put within our hearts the desire to seek and to know Him on a much deeper level, past all of the worldliness, the clutter of this world that distracts us. God comes to us to reveal Himself, but He also will ask us again and again in Scripture to seek Him. And so this merchant, this man who finds the treasure, the merchant who finds the pearl, they were in the process of searching to discover something. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 and 13. Many of us know verse 11. It's a favorite verse for many of us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We're like, great, God's got a plan for my life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Yes, God's got a wonderful plan for my life. And we don't continue to read the text where he says, seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And God wants us to seek after those things, to seek his heart. To seek to please Him in every way. To discover what He has for us and not get lost in the clutter of this world and bogged down and distracted by the things of this world. So what are you seeking? To fill any void in your life. Don't we struggle with that? We have voids in our life. We have voids where we want to find meaning and purpose and direction and satisfaction and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what are you seeking? What are you after? What is your life in passionate pursuit of today? Is it the king and his kingdom? Matthew 6.33, we saw that earlier. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. All these things will be added to you. If somebody is an outside observant of your life, what would they say? I'll tell you what that person, they are passionately seeking, and you fill in the blank. What would it be for you? What are you in passionate pursuit of? I talked to the young people, we've mentioned this already, but I talked to them about the three A's, you know, athletics, academics, and the arts, and you can decide what order they are in your life. They're probably not the same for any uh, group of people in here, but athletics, the arts, or academics, what what are you in passionate pursuit of? And and can those things become a distraction of the main thing, your, your walk with Christ? They're all wonderful tools, but if we're not careful, they can become more important than the pursuit of God. They can become clutter hiding the kingdom from us. Or maybe it's all of the accolades of this world. We were talking about Philippians chapter 3 in our life group this morning, and uh, I was amazed at how many things we talked about. I thought, man, this just goes right with the message today. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, look, I've got all these accolades. I've got all this religious activity in my life. I've got all this zeal, so many things I could brag about uh, concerning who I am and my credentials. And he comes to the conclusion and he says, but I count all of those things, all the clutter of this world is nothing but garbage compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, here's my goal. It's to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. You know what Paul was saying? He says, I want to get in on kingdom life. I want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of the King Jesus coming alive in me and living in me and in, through me. What are you seeking after? And if others are are observing your life, watching your passions, your energies, your investments, what would they say you are seeking after? What are you in pursuit of? It's a life of seeking. Even for those who have come to faith in Christ, it's a life of continually seeking Him and His will and His purposes. Secondly, we see this, it's, it's selling out is a life of sacrifice. Selling out is a life of sacrifice. This is not a word we like to hear, but what each one of these gentlemen mentioned in this parable had to do is they both both had to go and sell all that they had. The first one, it says he sold all that he had, to, this merchant. It says he sold everything so that he could invest everything in this one treasure, this one pearl, each Man was willing to let go of everything in order to gain what they believed was the best thing. And when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God and and selling out to Christ as king in our life, that is the best thing that we could ever do. Yes, it's a crisis moment. It's a moment where we come to a place in our lives where we say, you know what, I'm going to turn from sin and self. I'm going to turn from, from all of... My own worldly treasures, and I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. But it's also something that we have to do on a regular basis. If you flip over just a couple of pages in your Bible and look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke's Gospel adds the word daily. This is a daily thing. We'd like for it just to be a one and done. I did that. I gave it the office. I'm done with this. He says No, it's a daily thing. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake or because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward with each according to what he has done. I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I know that we'll look forward to the uh, the words that take place after the transfiguration of Christ at a later date. But for right now, stop and think for a moment. Am I willing to sacrifice on a daily basis to make Jesus Christ Lord and first in my life? We don't all have a, a, a moment required of us like that of great leaders like Jim Elliott. Most of you have heard the story of Jim Elliott. I'm sure some of you haven't heard the story of Jim Elliott. But he... Felt called as a missionary to the uh, primitive tribes, uh, the Alca Indians more specifically there in Ecuador. And they said, hey, we're going there and we're going to make contact and we're going to get to know these natives and we're going to share the gospel with them. And when they went, they had their very lives taken from them. It opened doors for the gospel later. But at that moment, they gave their very lives for the sake of the call, for the sake of the gospel. And it was later found in Jim Elliott's journals. This quote concerning the verses we looked at, it says this, He is no fool if he would choose to lose what he cannot keep in order to gain what he could never lose. Selling out is a life of sacrifice. But he is no fool. If he would choose to lose what he cannot keep in order to gain what he could never lose. Now, you could be like the rich young ruler who came to Christ. Was Jesus trying to teach him that, you know what, if you'll sell all you have and give it to the poor, then you can buy yourself in the... Kingdom. Now, that's he wasn't teaching him that he could buy himself in the kingdom, nor was he trying to tell him that earthly possessions were an evil thing in and of themselves. He was saying, I want to know something about you. Am I going to be first place in your life? Or are you willing to forsake all... And trust in me, are you willing to say, forsake all and follow me? It's a life of sacrifice, giving it all to Jesus, surrendering it all to Him. Or, or maybe you came to a place in life where you know that you know that you know that you've done that. You've trusted Christ as your Lord. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, "You know what? I, I've already done that. I, I've, I, I've given in. I've, I, I've trusted Him with my life and with my salvation. But are you living the Galatians 2.20 life where Paul says, you know what, I'm now crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, talking about living unto himself. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. Oh, the life that you see me living, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that's not only an entrance into the kingdom on the day, that crisis moment, you trusted Christ. It is a lifestyle. Paul rebuked the church in in Galatians when when they started by faith and somehow they slipped out of that mode and started trying to do good works to earn their salvation. He said, listen, you came through reckless abandon, forsaking all and, and putting your faith in Christ. You're to live by that faith. It's not just that moment in time. It is your Lifestyle. Selling out is a life of sacrifice. What are you not willing to let go of for the sake of the kingdom? Remember this, the enemy of God's best is not usually bad. The enemy of God's best is not usually the most evil thing we can think of. The enemy of God's best is usually good, good things, the best that this world has to offer. The enemy of God's best opportunities are good opportunities that we want to embrace. The enemy of of God's best relationship is a good relationship that we want to embrace. When we say, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm willing to sacrifice that which seems good in the world's eyes in order to receive what is God's best. See, it's not that clutter's hiding it from some of you. It's well-organized dreams and goals and treasures of this world. Holding on to your plans, your purposes, what you want to do rather than stopping for a moment to say, God, what would you have me do? Matthew chapter 13, if you go back, look at verse 7, He's given this parable of the seeds and he says some of the seed, in verse 7, fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked them. And he's interpreting that part of the parable in verse 22. And he says that the one sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So it's possible for us to be so distracted by everything that this world has to offer that we forget to make Jesus Christ and His will and His ways foremost. Say, oh, well, I would never be guilty of that. Are you caught up in the cares of this world? The worries of this world? Are you concerned about what you have and what you don't have? Are you concerned about how popular you are at school and what you're willing to sacrifice to be more liked, to be more popular? Are you concerned about whether or not you have a relationship but not whether or not it's the relationship God has for you? I remember something that kinda broke my heart as a as a student minister back when I was in North Carolina. And I heard one of the young ladies that had been in our youth group for a while make this statement. She said, "Wow, all of my friends had a date the other night, and I didn't. I had to stay at home. And then she goes on and she says, I don't have a life. Any teenagers guilty of ever saying that? I don't have a life. (laughs) And the reason it broke my heart, because I remembered back in my days when I was in high school, those nights, it just seemed like everybody was either out of town, had plans, to dates, something, and I didn't. And those, those nights where I'm just kind of at home by myself, and it's hard to get teenagers to do that. It's hard to get me to do that. But those nights were just home. And I remember, and I had been influenced by some folks, there was a radio program that came on with Ron Hutchcraft, who was he's still speaking all over the place today, but Ron Hutchcraft would teach from the Bible directly to teenagers on Saturday nights, from 10 to 11, and there would be uh, parodies and, and dramas and other things on the radio. And I would just open my Bible and I would listen to Ron Hutchcraft. And I think some of the most richest moments in my teenage years was when I wasn't distracted by going out with the crowd or the dates or everything else, and I was just at home. Anybody else remember Ron Hutchcraft doing that? It was called Saturday Night Alive, not to be mistaken with Saturday Night Live. But but Ron Hutchcraft would, 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 would do that from 10 to 11 o'clock, and I would sit there and I would just kind of soak it up and, and begin to grow in my faith. And, and then to hear a young lady say, well, you know what, I, I'm stuck at home alone, it's just me and Jesus and my Bible, I don't have a life. Made me realize that most teenagers just don't get it. They're pursuing the wrong relationships. Good relationships, but not the best relationship. The relationship with Christ. Selling out as a life of sacrifice. Discovering that He is all you have and all that you need. Then selling out finally as a life of satisfaction. So let's not stop with this. Too much fundamental preaching comes along and says, you know what? You've just got to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, you've just got to be willing to sell out. You've got to seek Him, sell out, sacrifice. And they'll point out the fact that they gained a great treasure. They gained the pearl of great price there was something that they had to let go of in order to receive something better a lot of times god can't give us his best because our hands are already full of everything that we want It says that he did this in his joy he got a glimpse that god had something better for him than what this world has to offer and he says you know what i'm going to let that go and in my joy i'm going to embrace something better Again, if you flip back to Matthew chapter 6, these principles of the kingdom just kind of overlap here. Verse 19, he says, Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. See, the problem is not owning things, it's for things to own you, for this world to own you rather than giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ so this world can't touch you. This world will never satisfy your heart like the kingdom of God can satisfy your heart. This world will never satisfy like Christ as your King will satisfy. All that is of the world, First John chapter 2 and verse 16 tells us what the world is. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things that we lust after in our flesh, with our eyes, the, the pride, those things that we want to make us look good will never satisfy. Only Christ. And it seems like our motivations can be a little bit selfish in that process. Well, my, my desire is to reach this supreme level of satisfaction. But listen, if it's in Christ, it's okay. John Piper uses language that in the beginning, I didn't like his terminology, I'll be honest with you, but he describes something called Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism. I believe if properly grasped, if you understand what he's really talking about, then it might be something that's very liberating. Now you've heard of hedonism before. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure as the highest good and the proper goal in life. The pursuit of pleasure as the highest good and the proper goal in life, that's hedonism, and obviously that is very wrong, and that is uh, not only sinful, but it's philosophically impossible to embrace if you think about it. The, the law of diminishing return says you'll never, ever be satisfied. But Christian hedonism, let me... Let me describe it the way John Piper does. He says, my shortest summary of Christian hedonism is, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And then he goes on to say this, we all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. That's the reason for a lot of simple habits and addictions. But he says, we all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Christian hedonists want to make God their God by seeking after the greatest pleasure, and that is finding pleasure in Him. By Christian hedonism, we do not mean that our happiness is the highest good. By the way, God's goal is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. So we're not seeking our happiness as the highest good. He says, we mean that pursuing the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. Piper goes on to say, "We should pursue this happiness and pursue it with all our might." The desire to be happy is a proper motive for very good, or for every good deed. And if you abandon the pursuit of your own joy, you cannot love man or please God. The difference between worldly and Christian hedonism, he goes on to explain. Some people are inclined to believe that Christians are supposed to seek God's will as opposed to pursuing their own pleasure. But what makes biblical morality different than worldly hedonism is not that biblical morality is disinterested and duty-driven, but that it is interested in vastly greater and purer things. Christian hedonism is biblical morality because it recognizes that obeying God is the only route to final and lasting happiness. In other words, it's coming to a place in your life where you're saying, my soul will never be satisfied with this world, but my soul will be fully satisfied when I embrace Jesus Christ and Christ alone as Lord and King of my life. And I'm not going to let the clutter of this world distract me from that highest call. But when we refuse to sell out to Jesus when we refuse to make Him the number one pursuit of our lives because we are afraid of letting go of something that we think brings us pleasure, then we've bought a lie and we're ultimately missing out on the greatest pleasure and the greatest satisfaction that only God can give because He designed us for Himself. Interestingly, Moses, we're told, chose to suffer with the children of God. Rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a for how long a season, he, he he chose to suffer with the children of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You say, well, then he missed out on pleasure in his life. Not at all. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that God's right hand are pleasures that last forever, because our fulfillment, our greatest joy, our greatest passion becomes knowing Him. Letting him make himself known in and through us in this world. And we're kind of, it's kind of like we're watching that old game show, Let's Make a Deal, remember? It's like we're watching that game show, Let's Make a Deal, and something's offered behind the curtain, and somebody trades in something of value to get what's behind the curtain. And the thing I always remembered seeing behind the curtain as a kid was a swayback horse. Remember that? You open the curtain and you hear the music, womp, 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 you know. And you just traded in a, a, a great treasure, great value. You open up the box that you were holding in your hand, and you know it's like thousands of dollars or something. And you, you traded that in, and you got what was behind the curtain, a swayback horse. The devil wants to hide what he's offering. He don't want you to see how meaningless and how valueless it is. He's saying, cash it all in. And he's telling our teenagers, he's telling our adults, cash it all in. Get what I have for you. And God is saying, don't do it. As a matter of fact, God's not trying to veil what He's offering at all. It's right here in His Word. He says, get to know me, and at my right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They've already experienced the best things in life. He said, so what should we do as a result of that? Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And not only the sin, but every weight, those other things that aren't necessarily bad, they can be good, but they're not God's best. Lay aside the sin and every weight that slows us down and distracts us from what God has for us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who did what? For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. The sacrifice led to satisfaction and great supremacy. Would you bow your heads with me?